Welcome to Prime Time. This week, David, the Prime Minister, or a Christmas special for exploring the Premiership of Britain's favourite and most Hugh Granty Prime Minister, and for connected purposes. Hello, and welcome to Prime Time. We're rating all of the British Prime Ministers from Robert Walpole to the modern day, via the fictional. <laughs> I'm John. I'm Rob. And I'm Cass. And today we are looking at our first fictional Prime Minister, David, or Hugh Grant, from Love Actually. Um, hello, and welcome to our first ever primetime Christmas special. And Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas to you, John. Happy Christmas, Cass. <laughs> Christmas he said in late November. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know... Release Sorry. time. By, by the yeah. miracle of radio. <laughs> um, we are all gathered around our microphones wearing our Santa hats, yeah. Christmas scarves, all <laughs> To of be this. fair, you have put up Christmas lights. I so have. specifically for this episode. Oh, really? That's that suspension sweet. of disbelief is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it is. Today, we are going to be rating and reviewing Britain's favourite Prime Minister, David from Love Actually. For anyone who is either not British or has somehow managed to avoid this film every Christmas for the last 20 years, uh, Love Actually is a Richard Curtis rom-com. So it's like a classic, heartwarming, hammy, holiday favourite. It tells the story of a variety of posh white Londoners dealing with problems at Christmas. A lot yeah. of them don't actually have that good a time. No, they're having a bad... Despite being incredibly privileged, yes. they're having a really bad time. It's just a sadness at Christmas. <laughs> So I hope you enjoy that, and it's going to be a really fun episode. It's a fun episode, <laughs> lots of sadness. And this is the 20-year anniversary of Love Actually. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that is, in so... fact, we've been hired by Richard Curtis. <laughs> we have not, and this podcast is not officially endorsed by Richard Curtis. <laughs> no, if, sorry, you're, if, if you're listening, don't. Richard Curtis. <laughs> Shout out to Richard Curtis, but also I think we need to put this through the lawyers. I'm pretty sure Richard Curtis is like, please don't associate me with this podcast. <laughs> I'll get Podcat on it right away. <laughs> I, think, I think Podcat is research head. I think Dogcast is our, is our legal guy. Dogcast is our legal guy. Yeah. I'll get Dogcast, our canine lawyer, onto it as soon as possible. Perfect. We are going to be focusing specifically on one character from Love Actually, Hugh Grant, a.k.a. David, the Prime Minister. I looked him up, by the way, while I was researching this, obviously. He literally doesn't have a last name. Like, he's like Cher. So that means he has fewer names than any Prime Minister that we've got. He Unlike, does. say, True. the Honourable Spencer Compton, First Earl of Wilmington. <laughs> Although, like many Prime Ministers, he does have the, the difficulty of a different name in that we might call him Hugh Grant. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> I have referred to him interchangeably as Hugh Grant and David. Um, so we are going to rate and review him alongside our other PMs, um, and we're just going to see how everyone's favourite Christmas Prime Minister ranks among the late and the greats. So ordinarily, obviously, we would start with his early life, birth, family, education, but as the film takes place entirely across five weeks in one year, um, there's actually a lot, very little information about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to structure things a little bit differently today. We are going to follow the way that the film is set out. So it's split into five sections and each section takes us one week closer to Christmas. So we're going to start right at the beginning of the story with Hugh Grant's arrival at Downing Street and only five weeks to go until the big day. Five weeks to Christmas. Ow. 
our story opens with David the Prime Minister arriving at number 10 Downing Street. Uh, he sweeps in, presumably straight from being sworn in at the palace, as we've learned all about in our Prime Cuts episodes. In one of the smaller sitting rooms. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Kissed hands, I think, the term is. Kissed hands what? is exactly the correct phrase. He's kissed hands with the king, That's... the queen, in 2003. Yes, there you go, that's it. You Apparently, the tradition was that you would kiss the monarch's hand as a symbol of fealty. Possibly even on a ring, or am I... I think you're, that's a pope. Oh, that's right, yeah, I was going to say. Pope thing? Okay. It's very Medici, isn't it? <laughs> the godfather's there, he's like, you come here. Uh, how many godfather are we getting into this? On the day of my Christmas film. <laughs> <laughs> he sweeps in from this hand kissing, it does an absolutely horrible double wave. Which is, in fact, is so awkward and embarrassing as his like first appearance as prime minister that I'm like almost tempted to mark him down <laughs> for it. I think I've put it in like life and legacy, like <laughs> negative points for that wave. I think those are his first words in the film. He sort of goes in, does the wave, and then the first thing he says to his staff on arrival is, "I need to work on my wave or something." So like he, <laughs> I about that. he knows that he's it's bad. Yeah, he's self-aware. It is bad. He's right. If we've learned anything in doing these podcasts so far, it's that Kes can be really judgmental about some things, but then mark people up for those same things in other categories. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll improve his way especially um, when it comes to dying <laughs> but does he die spoilers I mean we're oh. going to find out um, so he gets let into Downing Street he is wearing a navy suit and a navy tie with large white dots on it can you tell I was strapped for things to say in this episode <laughs> no it will become relevant I promise um, worth noting also that obviously this scene was not filmed at the real Downing Street for various security etc reasons but fun fact to allow for a realistic portrayal of 10 Downing Street, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer escorted Richard Curtis and the production designer, Jim Clay, round number 10. Um, and then they couldn't take any pictures or anything, so they had to like memorise what it looked like, and then they rebuilt the set based on that. That's so interesting, because I'm watching the film thinking, not only does the street look realistic, everything looks realistic. Like, the hallway is correct, all this, like the tiling on the floor, the corridor down. How do it's you like... know what 10 Downing Street looks like? I've seen pictures. <laughs> there are pictures of the inside, but they'll all obviously have been taken by well, all cleared before the, before yeah. they're released. Yeah. I do know that for the exterior, that people often use a neighbouring street. It's about two streets away. Um, I, they, they built this in Shepperton Studios. Oh, they like built a replica Downing Street. They built a whole street. Built a whole street yeah. for like two seconds of footage. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm guessing that. Downing Street hasn't faded away into the background of no, obscurity. You know, plenty of people are going to use it. They've got like a, a Downing Street in a box that they just get <laughs> out whenever it's time to do a Downing Street. Um, Rob, do you know who the Chancellor of the Exchequer was in the early 2000s? It would have been Gordon Brown. Correct. Yes. Who would go on to live in 10 Downing Street himself shortly afterwards. Of course. Uh, anyway, back to David. Um, so our first impression of David the Prime Minister is that he is awkward, but like charmingly so. So like a sort of bumbling, posh uncle who like turns up at family gatherings. He doesn't really know which niece or nephew you are, but like he gives you nice presents at Christmas and stuff. So he sounds a bit like every single character that Hugh Grant plays in anything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hugh Grant plays himself. As the yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, except more recently in the uh, uh, in the Paddington Bear films. Oh, he's now got like a villainous turn. Yeah. I love that for him. Of course, yes. And Do then he, he ends up in the prison, doesn't he? Will he come back as like David the evil PM? Get ready for this miserable Christmas film ever. Hate actually starring <laughs> David the evil Prime Minister. Um, so 
He greets his chief of staff uh, and then is led over to be introduced to his household staff. He seems very friendly, very polite. He does make a bit of an off-colour joke about having a pervert uncle, which is perhaps not great. But, fun fact, the lady who plays his housekeeper is actually the mum of the scriptwriter for Love Actually. Ah, it's who you know. If I were a scriptwriter, I would also just put my mum in all the films. I'd be like, mum, who, who do you want to meet? And my mum would also be like, Hugh Grant. <laughs> you only write war films. And there's your mum just like <laughs> sitting there in the base. She's like playing a dead body. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> David, the prime minister, uh, turns to greet his new catering manager, Natalie. Now, I looked up the job of catering manager at 10 Downing Street. because so I was like, is this a real job? It is. <gasps> Not only is it a real job, but actually there have been previous dramatic stories around catering managers. Oh, fun. This research is so thorough. Is it? Yes. (laughs) So uh, there was a previous catering manager whose name was Claire Latimer, and she was falsely accused of having an affair with John Major. (gasps) Because, and this is hilarious, obviously not for Claire Latimer, very sad for her, but quite funny in that people were like, she is always in his house. She, she's always there when, when he has fancy dinners. She's there late. She's there early. What is this woman doing? She, they must be having enough. That can be the only explanation. Anyway, back to David again. Um, so he has a little chat with Natalie's catering manager in which both of them say a lot of words that we cannot repeat on this podcast if we would like to retain our family-friendly rating. <gasps> We'd never do anything like that and then have to bleep it out later now, would we? <laughs> Obviously not. And neither would David the PM. No. Um, on the one hand, I think this interaction is good because David is a relatable, nice, normal man. He swears. He's chatting to the catering manager. He puts her at ease. It's all good. Yeah. On the other hand, he does spend the whole conversation looking directly at her boobs. So swings and roundabouts for David the Prime Minister in that interaction. He, is. he strikes me as a little bit unprofessional. And just maybe like mm. a tiny... He's swearing, he's staring at his catering manager's boobs. He hasn't practised waving. No, he hasn't practised his waving. Yeah, it, I'm surprised he managed to get the job. Yeah, mm. maybe there was no one else. We now come to one of David's most underlooked hidden talents. You remember the tie I said he was wearing outside 10 Downing Street? Yes. Can you remember what it looked like? I believe you said that it was navy with dots. Yeah, it was navy. It's got big sort of white spots on it. Wait, does he magically change ties? At the beginning of the scene, he is still wearing the blue spotty tie. But as soon as the camera cuts to Natalie, he changes his tie. It cuts back to him. He's in a different tie. Then it cuts back to Natalie and back to him. And he's in the original tie again. So maybe he isn't looking at her boobs and he's actually looking down. (laughs) He's just changing his tie. This happens like five times in the scene. Interesting, but if it's definitely a different tie, I mean, either he has superpowers, which would make him the first superpower prime minister, or the first magician prime minister. I don't know which. No, he clearly fell into a vat of radioactive sludge, came out and was like, I clearly have a superpower. And after years and years of trying to work out what it was, he realised that. Exactly. Slightly changing tie man. (laughs) And that is pretty much all we have to go on for his first week in Downing Street. Nice. But it is worth noting that the first week ends with a news reporter asking, is the new prime minister in trouble already? So perhaps not the most auspicious start for David. Four weeks to Christmas. 
Hugh Grant's second week as Prime Minister opens with a cabinet meeting uh, in which we get the briefest possible sense of his cabinet and his relationship with them because politics is not remotely the focus of this movie. (laughs) Um, His relationship with his cabinet seems less than good, I would say, uh, in that they say a lot of stuff and he says, that's a nice idea, I'm going to do not that. Oh, he's, he's making enemies for himself early. I don't know if this is like a normal relationship for a Prime Minister to have with his cabinet. To be that sort of ignoring of them is a bit much. But maybe if he's just won an election, if he's just, you know, got a big majority, maybe he feels he's got the space to just be the guy who's in charge of everything. But I think it'll certainly lead to resentment in the long run. It seemed to lead to resentment in the short run. Oh, right. <laughs> But despite perhaps being not popular with his cabinet, he does seem to be popular with the public, or at the very least, his catering manager, Natalie, (gasps) who lives in Wandsworth and doesn't have an RP accent. She lives in the dodgy end of Wandsworth. The dodgy end, not even just Wandsworth. The dodgy end of Wandsworth. Mm. She must therefore be the proletariat. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you you don't get much more proletariat than someone who works at number 10. (laughs) And lives in Wandsworth. (laughs) Is this whole thing a large Marxist polemic? (laughs) (laughs) The working title was Love Actually, Comrade. (laughs) So Natalie uh, has a little chat with him. She tells David, the Prime Minister, that she is glad that he won, which is nice. Uh, And she would have given the other candidate the boring biscuits with no chocolate. So a solid chocolatey seal of approval from oh, Natalie, yeah. the comrade. A little bit sycophantic, but, you know. Oh, do you think she's lying? <gasps> well, oh, do you think oh, she would have said that to the other yeah, prime minister? Of course she would. It's more that I worry about the about how healthy their working you oh, know, environment is. I mean, I've he's got, clearly... I've got feelings about that, John. <laughs> he, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's clearly staring at her boobs and she's clearly going, oh, it's so wonderful that you got in. And I just, I feel like she might be under pressure. Yeah. It's just not very nice, is it? Well, we'll talk about that a bit later on. (laughs) There's definitely a power dynamic issue in this relationship. Mm. Okay, so uh, we do also actually at this point get a brief sense of his like general popularity because uh, some of the other characters speculate on his lack of a personal life. One of the other characters, Martin Freeman, uh, says he's either married to his job or gay as a picnic basket. Welcome to 2003. (laughs) So just on that note... I believe there have only been about three prime ministers who weren't married. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay, does does that give him interesting points? I didn't even think of that. Well, we didn't give Wilmington any points for it. Oh, true. (laughs) That's true. So dull. (laughs) That's true. Maybe there are more interesting people who weren't married. Have there been any gay prime ministers? um, Well, it's a bit difficult to describe a historical figure as being gay. Yeah, that's true. um, Because obviously uh, they were all married, but they were, you know... Were they pressured into it? Mm. Applying these sorts of... Yeah, Oscar Wilde was married, so... I mean, for the first hundred years of these prime ministers, I think they could have been hanged if they were gay. It's also a very modern perspective of what things are. That just, mm. It requires self-identification. That's something people didn't have. Yeah, absolutely. A, a kind of modern ideas of sexuality. Uh, so David joins the, the very small group of he prime does. ministers who are unmarried. So anyway, David, he is presumably pretty busy in his second week in office doing cabinet meetings and things that prime ministers do listen to our prime minister's episode to find out so despite this he finds time to have a nice little chat to get to know natalie the catering manager he needs to focus on his blooming work i mean to be fair talking to someone that you work with (laughs) once over a 
two week period <laughs> not that um like that's not contributing to a bad work environment in fact if anything i'd say that they probably he probably needs more water cooler time or whatever no i'm a strong believer in you turn up at nine o'clock <laughs> work until six without uttering a single word <laughs> nice little hugh grant interaction here he's a man of the people he listens politely to her life story he inquires about her marital status he offers to have her ex-boyfriend murdered hmm. all very normal water cooler you chat. see john standard interaction with your colleagues <laughs> and what i'm wondering is robin does the prime minister have the power to get the sas to murder people oh my gosh that is a genuinely good question because this is what just to clarify for anyone who hasn't seen them actually she she comes in and he asks her about her life and she's like oh my ex-boyfriend dumped me because he said i was getting fat and he like offers to have the sas murder this boyfriend I, i'm going to say the prime minister can order people about like that but there are also the law and international law and the laws of war and i think that uh, he would not be allowed to do those sorts of things is this Yes, but no. Well, or no, no, but yes. I, mm. <laughs> because in theory, in Operation Nimrod, the SAS killed people on British soil. What's that? The Iranian embassy siege in the eighties. Mm. That's true, but I think that's more because people were holding hostages in an embassy rather than being mean to their girlfriend. Her, her boyfriend I, is holding her heart hostage, Rob. I think that yes, it's fine. Yes, <laughs> I think he my... can be killed. For, I, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that still counts as murder. I, I don't think they could. Um, if you remember, the, the fallback person is the monarch. And if you want to be very precise about it, the SAS don't owe allegiance to the prime minister. They owe their allegiance to the monarch. The SAS is going to call up the queen in the middle of the... Like, just before Christmas and be like, sorry, ma'am, I, I'm sorry to interrupt your carol service, but uh, we've been asked to murder this man from Wandsworth. <laughs> and the queen's going to go, another one? <laughs> which, which end? The dodgy end? <laughs> one more thing worth noting here. Um, which is that after Natalie leaves, uh, he turns to a portrait of Maggie Thatcher that he has hanging up in his personal office, and he calls her a saucy minx. I mean, uh, just to not to not to defend. John's fine with it. Well, it's more that what you've just done there is judged him for something that he did on his own that affected nobody. <laughs> I just it affected me, harsh. John. He shouldn't have done it with a camera crew there. <laughs> He's not choosing to include it in the film. It's in the film. It's part of his legacy. He didn't get directorial sign-off on the biopic of his life that was being carried out. He didn't even know that the cameras were there. All right, you can have your point. <laughs> Three weeks to Christmas. You know what? The manic run-up to Christmas, two weeks after you've been sworn in, is the perfect time for... No. A presidential visit. Yay! Yay. Oh, festive. <laughs> Enter the American. Texan drawl, slicked back hair, sharp eyebrows. Um, so within about 10 seconds of meeting the president, David compares himself to his ageing Aunt Fanny and calls himself pathetic. So like classic British classic. introduction yeah, exactly. to the prime minister. <laughs> safe to say here that the visit is not off to a strong start. Mm -hmm. The Americans openly bully the Brits uh, and David the PM just sort of watches and does a bit of a sort of like oh guys we're not really getting on here let's just you know let's puck up for the day and the cabinet are all like oh this guy when is he gonna grow a backbone oh dear he's not a good diplomat then is he what are they being asked to capitulate about it's never clear in the is film. Is it just not clear? It's just, they just literally don't say the film is really really clear that it like avoids any actual political 
stuff. So okay. like I, for example, tried to find out what political party David the Prime Minister belonged to, all of this stuff, and there's just like no information about that at all. It's, <laughs> it's like an apolitical political, like our podcast. Yeah, so I think that means that we can therefore choose. <gasps> yes. So I'm going to give you three options for things that they were capitulating. Oh, I love this. Okay. So option number one, the British and the Americans were arguing about how to spell the word colour. <laughs> that does make sense, given that we're colouring in between the lines here. Yeah. Mm. The, the, oh, you. <laughs> the president said, we're not going to budge. We are determined. Uh, option number two, who has to keep Piers Morgan? <laughs> Uh, but if anything, the third one is, is more more convincing. So option number three, uh, the British and the Americans are arguing about the date for Easter. <laughs> <laughs> or, or for Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> or Christmas, indeed. The British delegation is led by St Hild. <laughs> I mean, Easter sounds the most plausible. I think we've, we, we've agreed to disagree over the spelling of the word colour. So I think that's just over, and we're just going to go our separate ways. Piers Morgan seems to be quite bounceable between the two, mm. so I think we're sort of playing ping-pong with him. Oh, we're like Easter. divorced parents. Exactly. You see him for this Christmas, and we'll get him next Christmas. But Easter, that's just got to be the same, and I think we're fighting over that. Straight back to where we started, full St- circle. Straight back to episode zero, primeval politics. Do you know what they need? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they were they were arguing over when to have Easter, um, and Billy Bob Thornton said, "No, we're not moving. We've determined <laughs> when Easter is." Anyway, so that evening, uh, Hugh Grant's having a little little drink with the president, and he goes off to get some file, uh, and he comes back to find the president hitting on Natalie, the catering manager. God, poor old Natalie's having a tough time, isn't she? She is clearly, like, the hottest thing that has ever happened in Downing Street. Like, literally everyone sees her and is like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to say that the, the, not that the president comes off well in any of the scenes, because no. he's essentially as close as the thing has to a villain, but... Yeah. It, he's so creepy in the scene. It, it's the fact that David leaves the room for about five seconds. Like, literally yeah. five seconds. And also, the president is married. Like, he literally mentions, like, five minutes earlier. He's like, oh, yeah, my wife would be kind of lonely if she came here. It's like, well, apparently uh, she would be very lonely because you were off hitting on all the women. So minus points for the president here. Minus points when we review him. No, when, yeah. when we get Totalis Rankium to view him. Of course, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so David goes off and has a little sulk about this because that's obviously... The best mature way to deal with it. Yeah, not standing up for your employee and friend. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be okay. Oh, he just storms out. He just he just has a little sock. Like he oh. looks at Natalie and he looks all like disappointed. And she seems to feel that it's all her fault, which is a nice little internalized misogyny moment yeah, for that's Natalie. Really she like apologizes for it as well. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry, like the fire there was the fire and he was there. And it's like, let it was not your fault. You he was the, literally the president was like being a creep to you. Don't apologize for it. So what again about their working environment? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not liking I'm, the premiership at the moment. To be the honest. more I think about this, the more against him I am. Mm. However, now we have the big speech. So, safe to say that this is Hugh Grant's crowning moment in the film, the big speech. So Hugh is cross about being bullied by America. Uh, he's cross about his employee being hit on by the president, not because he's super pro women's rights and against women being harassed in the workplace, but because he wants to be doing the harassing. And he does a big old speech. And I have a copy of it here. We may be a small country, but we're a great one too. 
Country of Shakespeare, Churchill, The Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter, David Beckham's right foot. David Beckham's left foot, come to think of that. A friend who bullies us is no longer a friend. And since bullies only respond to strength, from now onward I will be prepared to be much stronger. And the President should be prepared for that. Uncanny. That was the big old speech. Now, given that this speech, presumably, was entirely improvised, I have got to give him props here for, like, improvised speech-making, because that's that's pretty good. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, there's definitely an immediacy to it in the film. It's sort of implied that he's come up with it because he's really angry and it's just just come to his head. All the the sort of ministers are like, what the hell is this guy doing? So they've clearly never seen this. Yeah, so it it seems to be off the cuff. Yeah, that's that's the impression I got. That does raise questions about the wisdom of making up speeches off the cuff because you're annoyed that somebody hit on somebody that you want to hit on. Well, let's discuss this. On the one hand... The reaction to this is, like, literally insane. He is now the most popular prime minister we have ever had in Britain. Like, in ten seconds, he has gone from being, like, is the prime minister in trouble already? His cabinet Uh hates him, to being, like, literally everyone is obsessed with him. On the other hand, we are now at war with America. (laughs) I personally don't approve of people who rabble, rouse, and essentially blame external countries for their problems. I mean, there are plenty of... I love you know, looking at this politically. ...small-minded <laughs> dictators who find it easy to threaten somebody else and to get their country... You know, I mean, we did it against France for several hundred years. You know, we, we'd rally everyone for the for the next <laughs> traditional attack on France and in doing so, we'd keep a bit of national unity. And that's actually not very impressive, if you think no. about it. Well, John, you're attacking one of our finest national institutions. Yes. War on France. Hugh Grant. <laughs> and Hugh Grant. That's true. Just as we stopped wars with France, we had to bring in Hugh Grant. Yeah. That's like the new, the new one. That's the new thing. This is our moment of telling a big, powerful country to shove it. Yeah. And it's all about two men trying to hit on the same woman. Yeah. Is it the most pointless war since the War of Jenkins' ear? Oh, good question. <laughs> the War of Natalie. <laughs> Uh, Hugh Grant's sister calls to congratulate him and his sister turns out to be Emma Thompson and he hangs up on her. So I would just like to say for posterity that I would never personally hang up on Emma Thompson even if I were the Prime Minister. Yes, and especially if you were a fictional Prime Minister because you've got more time. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm so busy and it's like, doing what? Like, all you've done is like, go to a cabinet meeting and yell at a Prime Minister, a President. I think you're underestimating the strength and skill that the Foreign Office has used to wield awkwardness as a diplomatic tool for generations. I mean, for example, um, there is a reason why the uh, Eurostar train line that comes in from Europe for many years would come into Waterloo Station. (laughs) 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 We are experts at making other people feel uncomfortable. That's so good. I was going to say, I think there's a line in Yes Minister where Sir Humphrey says that one lunch with a Prime Minister ruins ten years of careful diplomacy. (laughs) (laughs) Or one ten-second speech. Yeah. Anyway, later that night, we see a slightly sort of rumpled post-declaration of war. (laughs) Hugh Grant listening to the radio. Uh, Once again, everyone loves him, right? So everyone is obsessed with him. The radio plays a song for him. Unique phenomenon, I reckon. Mm, I think we've got to give him points for that. That's a pretty good moment. And in fact, perhaps the, the other best moment of the film is then that he does... I've literally just written... The dance. My notes for this are really helpful. He does the dance, John. The yeah. dance. I think it's one of the most iconic moments of the film. Isn't Surely it, it is. Yeah. We will put a, like a gif of him doing this on Twitter because if you haven't seen it, 
what are you doing with your life, literally? Uh, <laughs> it's very good. He dances all around Downing Street, and then eventually the sort of classic comedic ends. He's dancing very strongly, and then the camera pans around and shows that there's someone else in the room who he hasn't noticed, and then he just quickly stops dancing and suddenly becomes very serious and starts talking to this person. About and it's the scriptwriter's mother. She's back. <gasps> oh, brilliant. And he asks her to reschedule his lunch with the Japanese ambassador. To four, which... It's presumably not not a lunch anymore. Quite a late lunch. That is not a lunch. That's a dinner. <laughs> I think he's ruining international diplomacy then. I mean, to be fair, yeah. he might have wanted to do that already. Maybe yeah. that was what he was trying to convey through the meaning of that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Why is no one understanding me? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yet again, he's ruined some diplomacy. He's ruined it with the Americans. Now he's, now he's the mucking Japanese, about with the yeah. Japanese. No, but again, in both cases, we don't actually know what his underlying motivations are. No, we know yes, what his underlying do. motivations are. We don't know if other people have asked him to do that. No, I think he's covering no. his own back here. I think he's covering then. his own back. I think he's, he's got jealous about Natalie, and I think he's got embarrassed about the dancing. And in doing so, he's mucked around two of our most important economic allies. But um, when you say that he got jealous about Natalie, what he ultimately did as a result of his jealousy about Natalie was that he followed his cabinet's advice. He did exactly what they had been asking him to do. So while, yes, he did it possibly for the wrong reasons, it's not like he said, screw this, I'm going to you know, do what nobody wants me to do. Instead, he went, you know what, they were right. And he stands up and does what they had wanted him to do all along. I think you're besmirching the cabinet. I think they wanted him to be tougher in the negotiations rather than just a little ranty bully speech. I think that's not what they were after. They were after some tougher, proper, sensible negotiations, but with the classic veneer of a good, strong, friendly relationship rather than embarrassing the president in a speech. I I think he's gone a bit rogue. Mm, Agreed. When would the next United States presidential election have been? Wherever well, it, it would be the following year, wouldn't it? 2004 would have been one. George Bush would have been re-elected in 2004. So we can presume that this American president was... Running for re-election Running for re-election three years into his first term. That's going to make it even more diplomatically damaging. Yeah. Mm. Oh, but it's great though, isn't it? It is a good, oh, it's a good moment, we, but like... I love it. In the immediate moment, you're like, yeah. And then like immediately afterwards, you're like, oh God. <laughs> What's happened? Do you think that Hugh Grant is actually a massive ally and he actually thought it was really inappropriate for the president to, to inappropriately harass Natalie at work and therefore he's now like taking you him out? You can't harass Natalie at work. I'm harassing her at work. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's yeah. the only way we can really look at it. <laughs> Two weeks to Christmas... So it is safe to say that Hugh Grant is riding a high at this point in the film. He is fun, he's beloved, he does a silly dance. Can this positive streak last? Your tone suggests no. (laughs) No, it cannot. He immediately has Natalie fired. Oh. Fired? That doesn't seem fair. The word he uses in the film is redistributed. So, effectively, she's the catering manager for 10 Downing Street, which, like, if you are a catering manager, is presumably the peak job. Yeah, that's a pretty good job. And I, then, know, I mean, the banqueting house just down the street. Yeah, yeah. I, it'll, it'll be in the top cluster of places to be. A, yeah, I think so. And then she is redistributed, and he doesn't tell anyone why. So, like, I feel like people are going to be like, mm. I mean, it's definitely a shoddy move. Agreed. I feel like he does have the power to choose the people who work around him. Yeah, but, but like, we are going to have to have a chat no, about how he, he's not creating a nice working, working yeah, but environment. Yeah, also, like, he demotes her because he fancies her immediately after the prime, the president hit on her. Like, she's got harassed at work and then fired. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that she probably hasn't been fired, fired. 
She's probably she's been redistributed being moved John. around. It, yeah, it's, yeah, but to a less good role. It's presumably. bad. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. I don't like it. I think it's not fair. I've written WTF, Hugh Grant. <laughs> I definitely. I love that we're blaming Hugh Grant personally, personally for all of this. Yeah. Shout no out shout Hugh out to Hugh Grant. <laughs> yes, no shout <laughs> out to you. Um, his new catering manager demotes him to the boring biscuits, which really is what he deserves. So. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a nice kind of karma moment. His here. cosmic comeuppance. Yeah. Um, we also then see him watching Parkinson because he doesn't have a family and he's got nothing better to do. He's got nothing to do, and he's still hung up on his sister. He could have called her back during Parkinson's. That is so true. And actually, do you know what? I'm glad you brought up his sister because, side note here, at this point in the film, Hugh Grant's sister, Emma Thompson, is briefly seen wrapping some Christmas gifts. Do you guys remember this bit? Mm. She's wrapping Christmas gifts for like her kids' friends and she's like, which doll should we give to her little friend, Emily? And then holds up these like two hideously dressed Barbies <laughs> uh-huh. that are like, really dramatic. Fun fact, did you know the Barbie dolls that she wraps up as gifts are actually Ken dolls in drag. One was called Drag Lord Protector and the other <laughs> Drag Electress. <laughs> One week to Christmas. It is Christmas Eve. <gasps> Just oh. magically out of nowhere. We skip the entirety of Christmas week and we're going straight to Christmas Eve. Oh, and exciting. he's still working. Yeah, to be fair, this is exactly how Christmas like appears in real life. It just sneaks up to one you out of nowhere. It but yeah, true. like, doesn't the Prime Minister normally like take... A holiday at Christmas. I think the Prime Minister would have a bit of holiday. I mean, you're always on call a bit because stuff can happen. But I think, given that he was just slobbing in front of Parkinson about a week before Christmas, clearly his inbox is not that big. Yeah. And he doesn't have a family, though, remember. So, like, what is he doing at Christmas? Well, I can tell you what he's doing on Christmas Eve. He is in his house, 10 Downing Street, getting his little red box on Christmas Eve. In this red box, unlike other red boxes, Hugh Grant finds a random selection of Christmas cards. So I took notes on who these Christmas cards were from. Uh, He's got Christmas cards from Lord Oliver, Sir Mike Suez, and Natalie. Interesting. Now, when you search up Lord Oliver, it comes up with Peter Oliver, Baron Oliver of Ale Merton, who is the former British Lord of Appeal in Ordinary. Which is a lot of words that I know what they mean individually. <laughs> Don't understand them a at l- all. It's so a law lord. This means that he would have been one of the law lords in the House of Lords when it acted as the Supreme Court before we had a separate Supreme Court. Correct. Okay, so okay. he had a, a message from a relatively... Oh, and if, well, I think the Supreme Court was set up in 2005. So this is just before that. So he would have been a, maybe a serving, a serving law lord. Mm. I did try to look up Sir Mike Sewers. And it came up with Mike from Suits and the Suez Canal. So <laughs> he appears not to exist. Well, the Suez Crisis was a very big foreign policy disaster in the 1950s. So maybe this, this is, is an alternate universe where we succeeded in retaking the Suez Canal. And, and named everyone... all yeah. of our knights after us. <laughs> we have a bit of a habit of naming people after places. Oh, we, well, have, there we, go. we have a habit of naming people after battles they win. Oh, yeah, true. Like what? <gasps> So like, we... like Monty, Field Marshal Montgomery, became Lord Montgomery of El Alamein because he won the Battle of El Alamein in North Africa. Are we saying that Sir Michael Sewers won this yeah. battle? Yeah. Oh, wow, this is a really dark alternate history. <laughs> Things you didn't expect in your <laughs> Christmas special episode. Maybe when Hugh Grant is ticking off the Americans, <gasps> he's actually the more powerful of the two. Yeah. I have. Oh, John, this is a completely different scenario. This completely this changes so the meaning different. of the film. Anyway, so back to the Christmas cards. 
<laughs> he also gets a Christmas card from Natalie, who was not remotely involved in the Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think, but actually... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was the catering manager of the Suez Canal. Um, Hugh Grant reads this card. Uh, it says, love Natalie. He reads this card and immediately decides he must find Natalie, presumably apologise for firing her, and declare his love that has developed through seeing her twice while she gives him chocolate biscuits. I think we can assume that there were other biscuits in between. (laughs) To be fair, relatable, I would fall in love with someone who gave me chocolate biscuits. I think the real deal sealer is when the new catering manager comes in and gives you the not chocolate biscuits. And then you're like, ugh. Is this new catering manager perhaps Natalie's wingman? (gasps) I love this theory. They're in cahoots. Yeah, they they like set this up beforehand. You may, over the course of this podcast, hear Podcat snoring in the background. <laughs> he was too cute, we couldn't stop him. No, He's so Um So anyway, off Hugh Grant goes. It's Christmas Eve. He's going to track down the biscuity love of his life. Now, credit to his dedication to data protection here. He does not breach GDPR by looking up where Natalie lives in his personnel files. Instead... Ooh. He goes and knocks on every door in Wandsworth. Now, it is Christmas Eve, and he does take the ministerial car and a police escort to do this, which I feel is a bit of a shoddy move. Like, imagine being a policeman. You can't, it's Christmas Eve, your kids are at home, they're waiting, they're like, what, you know, where's mummy? And you can't go home on Christmas Eve because you are taking the Prime Minister on a booty call to the dodgy end of Wandsworth. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. Presumably the police were already on duty and they knew what their shift pattern was going to be. Is it still wrong of him to have done this? Oh, what you're saying, that he shouldn't yeah. have done this. Not because it was creepy and weird, but he shouldn't have done it because it involved getting police people out into the... John, my, my highest care is a regard for taxpayer money. <laughs> I mean, it didn't cost anything more. They were all on duty as they would have been already. Petrol, John. Petrol. <laughs> <laughs> Two pounds of petrol. Do you know how long the, the dodgy end of ones with is? <laughs> Anyway, Hugh Grant is busy knocking on all the doors in Wandsworth, trying to locate his future wife. Which I think is quite annoying for people trying to have a nice Christmas Eve. Yeah, people are sort of surprised, delighted, confused, not sure what's going on, lots of different reactions going Mm. on here. It says a lot about his, at the time, popularity that nobody gets annoyed at him. I mean, how would you feel if a random politician knocked on your door? Well, we, we do see a grand selection of three people. One of them is three small children that make him sing... One of them is an old lady who's just like, are you the... what's going on? And the other one is Natalie's next-door neighbour, so... If you've ever been canvassing, <laughs> you do not get those sorts of responses. That's fair. Actually, to be fair, like, if, if like, Rishi Sunak knocked on my door on Christmas Eve... You would say, can I interview for this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> well, if Rishi! To, if we're trying to work out which party he's from, Wandsworth was, maybe less so nowadays, but a really big, important... Tory bastion of West London. It was Margaret Thatcher's favourite local council, Wandsworth Council, because they were always low tax. This is in line with what I think Mm. about Hugh Grant, the Prime Minister. He does also say he really throws his cabinet under the bus here. You know, his cabinet who were like trying to get him to do something, and he was like, no. He like he says to one of the one of the presidents, sorry about all the cock-ups. My cabinet are absolute crap. We'll do better next year. Which A, rude. B how many cock-ups have there been? He's four weeks into his premiership. What is he doing? That's I mean, terrible. They have declared nuclear war in America, I suppose, <laughs> but that was his fault. Eventually, Hugh Grant manages to locate Natalie and her entire family, 
who are happy to accept a lift and a police escort to the local Christmas pantomime, which apparently the entire population of London is taking part in because literally every single storyline goes like is coming together in this pantomime to the Wandsworth Primary School pantomime, (laughs) including the like childless couple who just go to this pantomime, which I think is quite creepy. They do mention that all of the schools in the local area have got together. Yeah, but these these two characters don't have any kids. No, but it's Christmas. They might have nephews and nieces. Unlike David, Mm. they might have actually gone to the pantomime to support someone who was in it. That's true. Yeah, true. Anyway, we watched this film recently, as we said, for our research. And when we watched this bit, we rewound it so that we could count exactly how many people are involved in this lift to the Christmas panto. So bear in mind, there is one fancy bulletproof PM car and a police car. Right. So we get to see inside the PM car where David, Natalie, and then like one child inexplicably dressed as an octopus. Presumably because they couldn't fit in the other car in the octopus costume. Presumably. True. Now, when we counted Natalie's family, we counted roughly 10 people in the house, which means... That we worked out. Now, if this proves to be incorrect, don't blame me because we wrote this. We all wrote this together. (laughs) (laughs) We're all in this together, guys. Uh, There are nine family members in the police car plus the police. Now, that is a police officer should know better. Well, we licked this up, right? And it is illegal in three separate ways. So the first way is this is a misconduct in public office. Rob, do you want to explain what that is? Um, I would say that both the police and indeed the Prime Minister hold what are called public offices in this country, and there is a criminal offence of misconduct in a public office, which is when you flagrantly breach the required and understood standards of activity in those offices. And I think a police officer shoving nine people in a car (laughs) and then driving them to a Christmas nativity show illegally (laughs) would be that. Um, and also, presumably then, Hugh Grant asking the SAS to uh, murder people would also be a misconduct in public office. Uh, it feels like it might be. Uh, the second way this is illegal is driving with an unsafe load. Yes, which I did look up. That is an offence under Section 2A of the Road Traffic Act 1988, which can get you two years in prison and or an unlimited fine. Uh, and the third way is uh, that it is illegal is that none of the people appear to be wearing a seat belt. <gasps> including the octopus child. Now, this is feeling like the most criminal Prime Minister (laughs) that I can immediately think of. I'm going to give him plus points for that. But Rishi Sunak, when he shot an Instagram video in the back of his ministerial car while it was driving without wearing a seatbelt... Ooh. Yes, so uh, quite amazingly, this is this is definitely criminal from Hugh Grant, Prime Minister, but it is actually an identical offence with an actual offence that an actual Prime Minister has committed. That's, this is so fun, this so has got going legacy. Hugh Grant broke new ground by breaking the law first, and he's lucky that he didn't break his neck in the process. Rishi Sienna is so just copying him. That's why Hugh Grant's in prison at the end of Paddington. <laughs> <laughs> the law's finally caught up with him. Anyway, uh, once... David, the Prime Minister, and the police and Natalie's entire extended family have reached the pantomime that every person in London is apparently going to. They unload, uh, and then David, the Prime Minister, sneaks inside to hang out with Natalie backstage. So while they're running around backstage, he bumps into his sister, Emma Thompson, and her two children, Lobster Number One and Horrid Bernard, because London is just that small, and literally (laughs) every character in this film is at this nativity show. (laughs) Incidentally, fun fact... Every Richard Curtis film has a horrible character named Bernard. 
So in this movie is Emma Thompson's horrid son, Bernard. And the reason for this is that Richard Curtis does this as a way of getting back at Tory MP Bernard Jenkin, who allegedly, inverted commas, stole his former girlfriend. <gasps> that is excellent. Do you That's want to point out? Amazing. Women are not property. They cannot be stolen. But Correct. this is quite a fun little dig at Bernard Jenkins. If, uh, if I were a film director, do you know who I would put in every single film? Who would film? you put in every single film? Uh, Nicole Kidman! Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Shout out to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I'm doing it because uh, she actually stole my original girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, David the PM and uh, Natalie stand backstage to watch the pantomime fail somehow to realise that they've put themselves right in the middle of a big poster that is clearly going to be revealed at the end of the pantomime because it says Happy Christmas in big letters. Uh, and so David, the Prime Minister, ends his turbulent five first weeks as Prime Minister by snogging Natalie, the catering manager, on stage in front of every person in London. Oh, that's very embarrassing. And also, yet again, terrible self-awareness. I was just going to say, imagine being... British in this premiership it's five weeks and he's already like declared war on America he's like yeah. getting the local school pantomime he's like getting up to all sorts one month later at the very end of the movie we do get like a super brief flash forward to one month later so Hugh Grant has now been in office for a total of nine weeks, but we have absolutely no information on about half of that time. Uh, he is returning from a trip abroad. Natalie greets him at the airport. Presumably he's been to America to try and patch things up <laughs> over there. Uh, or, or Japan. Um, and we are right back at the arrivals gate at Heathrow for the film to remind us of its original message. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. Oh, and mostly Heathrow Airport, the most romantic place <laughs> I could think of. And that is where we're going to leave it for today. Oh, <laughs> so lovely. next episode, next week, we will rate and review Hugh Grant, the Prime Minister. We'll stack up the odds. We'll look at the uh, slightly off-colour jokes. <laughs> we will look at the ultimate triumph or failure <laughs> of his diplomatic intervention with America. And we'll measure where he stands against our other prime ministers. Oh, yes. is he going to make it? Will he be a write-on or a write-off? Oh, so excited. So yeah, stay tuned. In the meantime, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetime underscore cast or write in at writeonwriteoff at gmail.com. And remember... Never flinch, never weary, never despair. And the president should be prepared for that. (laughs) 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 Oh yeah, Rob, you read it. Yeah. Do your best Hugh Grant impression. Uh, Is that just my voice? (laughs) 